0: Jeff Smith and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people famous people and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success and my aim is to share them here with you Of course success is not always measured in money and in these programs I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life I want to find out what makes them tick how they overcame adversity to keep on going and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too and implement the secrets of success into your own life. In this episode, I'm talking with Habib Shamas. Habib, or HJ, as he's known by his friends, is an award winning, best selling author, coach, entrepreneur, and investor who's achieved financial independence by investing in rental properties, creating online businesses, and helping others to publish their best selling books. He's the founder of Employee Millionaire. He's guided thousands of students through their personal finances, launching their online businesses, publishing their best-selling books, and investing in income-producing assets. There's a lot to get through here today. H.J. is also the author of four books himself. The Employee Millionaire, The Employee Millionaire's Personal Workbook, The Four Stages of Building Wealth, and his newly published book, millionaire mindset and success this is going to be an interview that explores not only writing a book but also the magic formula for creating a number one international bestseller so let's bring in the man himself welcome to the show h.j shannes
1: hey h.j how are you today hey jeff hey jeff first of all thanks a lot for this beautiful intro actually it felt a lot yeah it felt a lot so uh, i'm really privileged i'm really honored to be here with you today and really let's have fun adding value discussing all what you mentioned about how to make a how to make books best-selling books and really make those authors best-selling authors well i understand you're in dubai today and I you am, had, yeah. you've had a few power
0: cuts and it's been difficult <laughs> get, difficult getting this one on. So, so Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine. It, it, it's a great, great theme to start the show, though, because we dealt with adversity. How do we overcome such things and keep on going? And we got our heads together and we still found a way to make exactly. things happen, which is great. Exactly. So before we get into many of your success stories, I want to find out about H.J. the person. So three questions for you, please. Where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up?
1: Wow, wow. So first of all, uh, I come from this small part of the world, which is called Lebanon, for a lot of you, you don't see, you don't know Lebanon. It's this small dot on the map and maybe it's war. It's known for its war era in the 1970s and 80s. So I started like, a, I was born from a poor family, struggled my way around in life. And then in 2001, I wanted to escape the, the poverty. I wanted to escape uh, a country where there are no opportunities. So there was lots of adversity on my side. So I immigrated out of Lebanon. And I only at that time had three hundred dollars in my pocket. Can you imagine? Like, going months. to the new <laughs> <laughs> going to a new country. Everything is big, all those high towers, where I come from, there's only small houses, a couple of floors. So everything was giant, everything was big. I was this little guy in the in the big city, and I wanted to find my way around. So I started joining the corporate world, you know, started grabbing the ladder. Uh, One step by step and then when I started to earn more money what happened here in 2008 I saw a lot of my friends being kicked out of their jobs when the financial global financial crisis hit the whole world So this was kind of a wake-up call for me. Okay, I was struggling in my life, I found a good paying job, but what if I was next? What would I do? How can I support myself? How can I support my family if this happens to me? And it might happen to any one of us. Absolutely.
0: And I'm going to hold you right there, because I want to go back to your younger life. So as we speak at the moment, we have a war with Russia and Ukraine, and I think... Unless you live through it, it's not possible to imagine what it's really like. Yeah. So, I want to take you back, back to Lebanon. And what was it like for you as a child living through a war torn country? What was life like?
1: I, I would say that we learned how to survive. We became really, we, we became so, so good at survival. So I I remember my when I was like 8 9 years old If I heard a missile flying in the air, I would know if it's going to hit us or miss us, you know. From the sound of a missile, I would know if I I was going to be safe or I need to go and hide somewhere. So, you develop those survival instincts that where you you would know what's happening, how to take yourself out of risk. But also, you develop what I call this crocodile skin. So, I, I really remember one day, I was going to school. I was... Maybe 10, 11, something like that. So during those, so the the previous night, there was the street fights between militias at that time. It was street fight in Lebanon. And the next day, everything is normally go to school and, uh, you know, we continue and nothing is happening. So I remember this young kid finding a dead body. And for me just to go to school, I had to jump over that body. Oh, man. As if nothing happened. Now when <laughs> I think of it, I think of it, I say, oh, shit, what's happening? How could, I, how could I do that? But at that age, you know, you, you develop this crocodile skin. You just survive. You just want to go forward and you put the, all your guards like, I just want to, I want, I want, I want to make it. That's it.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to laugh here. I'm just thinking, how many kids have had to jump over a dead body, a human being, to get to school? Um, how did that affect you? How long
1: did it stay with you? You know that at that time during war, you don't think of them because every day there's a new episode. Every day there's a new thing happening. Every day you think I might die here or there. Every day day you have to survive. But when the war has ended, this is when we realize we passed through a lot of traumas in our life. and, And now there are the positive side and the negative side. The positive side of things is... We know how to thrive. We know how whatever happens to us, we pick up the pieces and we move on. We, we try to make the best out of it. The negative side of it is you become so kind of uh, insensitive to, 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 to uh, small things uh, because you were trained like that uh whatever failure you might f- face in life you think okay it's, that's nothing as compared that i was going to die at that age so whatever happens to you becomes really a small thing and uh and and i think this is what m- what makes most of lebanese overcome any hurdle they face because they learned how to survive war if they could do that i think they could survive any uh uh any experience in their lives, and a negative experience in their lives. What I mean here, uh, and and uh, I think this is what equipped me to overcome all my hurdles in business, in in my career, uh, and and to really keep on focusing on what I wanted to achieve in life.
0: Okay, so when you faced with adversity now today, do you reflect back to the to that war torn time and think? If I can get past that and survive, surely I can do this. Is that what actually goes through
1: your mind? Actually, it happened to me in 2019. I'm not sure if you heard about the financial crisis in Lebanon, where the government and the banks stole people's money. It was all over the news. I'm not sure if you heard about it. Yeah. So imagine.
0: They uh, they just froze all the bank accounts, didn't they? So so the number but, stays on screen, but you couldn't get access to it. Is that right?
1: Now, this is what how it started. Now it's worse. What they tell you, so let's suppose you have $10,000 in the bank, yeah? Mm-hmm. They tell you this $10,000 is not worth any more $10,000. They're going to convert it to the previous Lebanese pound exchange rate. And the Libanese pound lost 97-something percent of its value over the last three years. So you're going to take your $10,000 around $700. Wow. So imagine if, imagine if you have hundreds of thousands or a bigger number. So actually you lost 90-something percent of your net worth. It was stolen by the banks. And with a scratch of a pen, they tell you, this is what we used to have, and this is now your new number. So it happened to me. And and uh, I, I used to have a decent amount of money in the banks and I lost it all. And then I thought I could do nothing about it. What I need to do is to reset, keep on doing what I know what I've been successful at, uh, step more on the pedal, keep my foot there and keep on really uh, reset, uh, re- reinventing myself so that I can overcome all that uh, uh, experience.
0: Mm-hmm. amazing and the the problems with the monetary system in Lebanon is still going on today right and the, it, it is indeed yeah yeah there's no chance of you getting that money back
1: no no I I lost hope of that I thought as if I lost it all and really I've reset ever since and now I don't trust the whole system all my money is in the states and in Dubai and this is this is how I, I operate okay so I'm Start from
0: scratch all over again. Okay, exactly. so let, let's move it then to where you left your story before. So you mm-hmm. decide to leave Lebanon. You have $300 in your pocket. Yep. And then where did you go? Which country did you go to?
1: So I went in 2001 to Dubai. Okay. And uh, I remember really, I was staying alone. I was I was kind of afraid. I had a stare in my eye that... It's too big for me. What can I do? Mm. How old were you that, at this stage? I was 28, okay. 27, 28, yep. So, uh, what I've done that uh, at that time, I, I, I decided I want to be successful in the corporate world. I want to earn a decent money, have a decent job, which I've done. And then when the financial crisis hit the world, this is when I decided... Okay, now that's a new, uh, uh, wake up call for me. What shall I do about it? Because those kinds of financial crisis, they always happen. It's a, it's a kind of a cycle. They always happen throughout our lives. And I need to be prepared for the next, uh, next one. So this is when I started investing in rental properties. Uh, and, and what I've learned in the process is I could leverage the bank's money, uh, and pay a little down payment. And in that way, I was increasing my wealth. I was increasing my passive income from the net rental income, which is the income rental income less the mortgage installments. And over time, after seven years, I was able to have enough rental income that exceeded my all of my expenses and I was kind of financially independent. At that time, I had the choice to either continue in a job if I like my job or to leave my job if I don't like it because my rental income could sustain um, all my living expenses uh, with, uh, while maintaining my lifestyle without really reducing uh, any of my lifestyle. So, uh, and this is when uh, I started writing my book afterwards. Uh, so in 2018, 10 years after that, I, just, I wrote my first book. It became a hit. Uh, it won it multiple awards and I wrote three other books. So I became three times best-selling author. And ever since I started to help students invest in rental properties. So now my niche was all those employed people, how they can escape their rat race in the same way I've done. And here it is where I pivot, pivoted a bit. So a lot of the students I, I was working with, they didn't enjoy their job, but they have a lot of, they had something in them. They wanted to share their experience with the world. So, and this is where I started to open another department in my business. Okay, I have big employees become financially dependent through real estate. But what if you don't want to remain as an employee and you want to be an entrepreneur? Okay, I'm
0: just going to hold you there because there's so many, so many golden nuggets we've just gone through. So Mm -hmm. I want to backtrack on a couple of things that you said. Sure, definitely. So one of the things that I think is really important when people speak about financial independence... There are a couple of definitions for this, but I particularly like the one you've just given. It's when you have passive income, that means you you are not spending your time exchanging your time for money, as we normally it, do in a job. Exactly. Yeah. You have this money coming in, in your case, from rental properties, mm-hmm. whether you're working there or not. Exactly. So the amount of passive income coming in, when it exceeds... The expenses going out and you have some left over, this is what we're referring to as financial independence. In other words, that's, yeah, we don't have to work anymore because our passive income actually covers our, let me say, current lifestyle. So Exactly. So exactly. so when you say you achieved financial independence, that's what it actually meant. Great. So yes. th- then then and then you said, "Okay, I decided to write my first book." So, what was your first book? Who was it for, and why did you decide to write it?
1: Okay, that's that's a great question. Actually, when it first started, it was not intended to be a book. So, at that time, uh, in two 2000- thousand uh when i started that in around 2017 uh my wife was pregnant so at that time i was reading wow that's 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 a great gift from god so and uh, i was getting old and i thought what if something happens to me i want my child at that time i didn't know the gender yet to, to to learn some lessons in life so i started to write some notes to my future child to teach them if you ever join the workforce you need to leverage that and really know how to really borrow other people's money, in that case the bank's money, invest in real assets so that you can become financially independent. So I wrote all this kind of notes, and one day my wife looked at my, at my those notes which were on my laptop. She called me. I was in the office. She told me, are you out of your mind? You wrote something great, and you you're so selfish. You want to keep it to yourself without sharing it with the world? And wow. And I told her, you know, I'm I'm not this kind of personality. I don't seek attention. I don't know how to be an author, how to approach uh, uh, publishers, et cetera, et cetera. So this is when I thought, okay, let's give it a try. I approached uh, one of the publishers. They loved the book. And they told me at that time, this is Rich Dad, Poor Dad for the 2020s. And I said, wow. Those were supposed only to be notes and now you're telling me that's a great manuscript. Yeah. So I worked with them. So I'm not I'm not officially a writer. I'm a best selling author. But means what I wrote was not Perfect, uh, uh, perfect in a grammar sense, in a vocab sense, in a structure sense. And the publisher helped me. And that's something we're going to discuss later on about how to convert those notes or with this rough manuscript into a book, which makes sense, which flows, which is logical and all this kind of stuff. So, and when they helped you do all of that, we launched it. Uh, it became a hit. Uh, it won all those awards and uh, and this is when my entrepreneurial life started and I left my job at that time to start really teaching students how to do, how how to achieve the same and what I've achieved in my life.
0: Okay, I love that. I, I It's quite fascinating. I didn't know any of that but I did exactly the same thing for my daughter's Wow! Yeah, So as, as <laughs> yes. Yeah, so as we've spoken about before, HJ is that I've discovered these eleven steps of success, and it is book worthy. I am writing the book at the moment, but I've been studying this for forty years. My kids are now in their late twenties, and I and about twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. I decided. I, when my girls decide to leave home, I want to give them something. And when I'm not around, that could be in the future. I could be in another country, or or I'm not available to speak with them. I wanted to give them something where they can say, "What would my dad do in this situation?" So, so we're the same,
1: right? Yeah, that's legacy. We're leaving yes. a legacy for yeah. don't know what to do exactly.
0: So, what I did, I created my own coat of arms which has, I created it so I could give it to my daughters on the day that they leave home. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people have become interested in it, I decided to make it my company logo. So anyone looking at that coat of arms, it's called the mark of success. It's coded, fully coded with all the secrets of how successful people become successful. So I'm just writing the book on it. But isn't it amazing how we've both thought about what do we want to do for our children in the future? And then that product itself has materialized into something much bigger than we thought. Exactly. Yeah, so I created it originally for my daughters and then someone said the same thing to me as your wife said to you. It's that, don't be selfish. You need to share this with the world. Exactly. So now... I'm, um, I'm creating the book, which will be out in 2023.
1: Wow. wow, Anyway, anyway,
0: yeah, I I sidestepped, but I, I thought, I thought it would be an interesting juncture because I think it's a great thing to do. And anybody listening who's thinking about writing something, I think it's a good motivation and good direction to write it for someone. So to write it for your children, I mean, you did it when they were in the womb. I did it when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. But the the guided message remains the same. And it was, exactly. it was great motivation for me. And that might well be great motivation to get someone else started who's listening. Exactly. Okay, so you've written the book with assistance.
1: Yes, with assistance.
0: Yeah. It's then published. So you went to a publisher, you did not self-publish. The publisher did it for you. Exactly. On that book, did you have any hand in the publishing side of it or did you just leave it completely to them on this first
1: book? No, on the first book, I left it completely to them. And this is when I learned the good, the bad, and the ugly of the publishing business. Because, yes, indeed. But <laughs> <laughs> the publishers also, although they have the muscles, they have the reach, they have the connections, but you always, I, I wouldn't say I was very happy with the book's performance. Because what I learned later on, when I self-published my three other books, actually they outperformed my first book. Yeah so so uh and this was a great lesson for me but i needed to go through the process i needed to get all that learning curve uh i need to go through all the obstacles or the challenges so that i can come up with ways to overcome them or the, to overcome all that challenges the moment i wanted to publish my own books yeah is it worth doing
0: hmm that's, that's something people might want to consider. So you could go that route. It is a very long route and a very expensive route in that you don't earn anything, right? What might be a better route for some people is to have a proper mentor and that will shortcut the whole process and fast track it. But selecting a mentor to help you with a book, that's a tricky one. Perhaps we can talk about that one later too. Okay, yeah. so you learn the lessons the, the hard and expensive way for your first mm-hmm. book. Your second book, what, what's that one called?
1: So uh, my second book, what happened at that stage, so I came up with The Employee Millionaire, which was my first book. I was not happy with what the publisher has fully done. So I decided, let me make a test, and I made an abridged format, an abridged version of my first book. And I called it The Workbook That Relates to This First Book. So The Employee okay. uh, Millionaire. Personal workbook, which is really actionable steps, things you can do without all these stories around, uh, the book. Yeah. So I published that, uh, and I did all my research on how to do the right cover, the right keywords, the right title, the right uh, listing, the right blah, 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 which we're going to talk about it in a while. Yeah. So, uh, and this was the aha moment for me. The moment I published it, I set it up first of all when it it was set up for success because i did my homework before publishing it uh whereas in my first book i just wrote something without doing my research so it was done through uh through research second thing is i invested money on ads and this is are the right ads the right promotions that will give a return on investment and doesn't uh, doesn't just go down the drain because I've learned also a lot of promotions will waste your money and we need to learn which ones we really get as that ROI. And the third thing I've learned is states from books will never make you a passive income. That's people need to know. At best, it, it will give you a few dollars in and there because you're always reinvesting that money earned from books and marketing to grow your audience. So I think the, the lesson here, the third lesson was you earn money from your book from the back end of the book. So my book becomes, what I call it, uh, it's like a calling card, 2.0, the next generation calling card that is like a brochure selling what you do as a service. And this is was the wake-up call for me that on my second book, because I put the right a way that people can reach me can you know, the call to action, how they can connect with me. This is when I started my consulting business, my coaching business into real estate. And wow. So I, I so I was kind of breaking even on the book sales because I, I reinvest all that money into marketing because my objective was reach, but on each book. That has a, that's converting into a, a client that I coach, this is where the money is. And this is the real, real, real uh, income from the book.
0: Okay, let, let me just go back to what you've said there. First of all, you said you did your research to do some marketing that produced an ROI. How do you do that? How do you know marketing or or what kind of marketing is going to produce a return on investment for
1: you? So it's two things. I've read a lot, really read a lot of books, articles, but that's not enough. I had to really dip my fingers into each one of them. I had to lose money here and there. Uh, and actually, I lost a lot of money in a in, in couple ah, of places right. Okay, okay. <laughs> until, until I learned okay. how, what, what really makes it.
0: Okay. So the answer is you did a lot of testing with marketing and you exactly. found out what worked for you and what didn't work for you. That That's fine.
1: Okay.
0: Exactly. Okay. The, the next, I can't remember the next bit we did now. Doesn't matter. Oh, it does. I remember now. You said self publishing doesn't make any money, never makes any money. Okay. So sometimes it does. So let, let me clarify this. When I was writing a book, Somebody said to me, and this influenced me greatly, and we're now 20-something years since this was said to me. This is how powerful it was. Mm-hmm. So I said to this guy, I'm going to write a book. And he went, oh, that's awesome. And here's what he said. It's the best business card you can ever have. And I thought, wow, yes. Now, anybody who's thinking of writing a book, you need to make a decision before you write the book, really, as to whether whether you want to make money from it and to become a number one bestseller. That, that's the first thing, because this changes how you write the book. The other thing is, if you're going to self-publish, you need to decide, are you going to create this as, let me say, as cheaply as possible, so that it becomes a business card for you in order to generate leads, as you do, HJ? Or are you going to create a book that is going to change an industry and is worthy of people paying for it? These are two very, very different things. So when I did my book, uh, the KPI book, I knew that would not be worthy as a cheap paperback to throw away to be a business card. I knew it would be a permanent reference book. So that kind of book, you need to decide before you write it. You don't write it and then think, oh, what shall we do with this? I agree. Yeah, so what we're talking about from your perspective then is to write a book with the intent of spreading your net so that you're able to use the book as an investment for marketing, if you will. It's your best marketing tool. It's your business card. And you do that to attract clients. So that's the line that this interview is taking. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yeah. so But just let me clarify one yeah. thing. So what I tell always people, you plan that your book at best will break even. That mm-hmm. means whatever you get out of it, you are investing that book to reach a wider audience. Because if you achieve success and becomes like a reference book, as you mentioned, you over, you, 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 you under promised yourself and you overachieved. But if you only think that I want this to be a reference book and if it fails to do that, you need, you, you're going to fail all, all whatever plan you, you've done for it. So that's why I would always plan for the minimum, so if, if I can, I'm I'm happy with that. If this will get me the right business model, I go for it. And then, of course, when we started to do the ads and all the marketing, we aim for the we aim for the best. We aim like ready to. For it, for it to make money. But we never promise ourselves that the book sales per se, the royalties per se, will really make us a, a tons of money. It makes a few thousands here and there, of course, but not the kind of income you could depend on for your life.
0: Okay. We'll agree to differ mm-hmm. uh, because I fall into a different category personally.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it happens, of course. Yeah,
0: and I work with other people who also fall into the category that I'm in. But it also fulfills what you do also. And it's this balance point between the price point, the production cost, and then the volumes in which it sells. Got it. Yep. So um, it's a very different proposition. To, and that's why I said earlier, getting a mentor is, is, is a tricky part because... I think you would be quite a different mentor to someone writing a book than I would be. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because I would recommend if you're going to get a mentor, you should find someone who's done what you want to do. Exactly. And you and I have done very different things with books. So we have lots to teach each other, lots to learn from each other. There are some commonalities. However, the strategy for my book publishing which is self published is quite different to your self publishing which i love i love that we've got this difference because you know one size fits all is great strategy for t-shirts but not <laughs> for bu- but not not for book publishing or any kind of business strategy yeah yep. so so what we're saying with your strategy and let's be clear is you are aiming to break even and to publish this book to get known, it's your business card. That's its purpose. It's not. Exactly. It's not done to change the world. It's a different kind of proposition. Okay, so I just want to be clear on that mm-hmm. because when you say, "Oh, you can never make books from publishing," it's like, "Oh." Actually, you can, but it's a different, different, different mindset altogether. So I just wanted that that you. point of clarity. Sure, so yeah. for, for you, you're in the paperback market because they sell more than hardback because of the price point. And you aim to get high volume, get lots out there, and the money you make from it, you reinvest and get more out there with the aim of your book making you more visible so you gain more clients, win more customers, make more profit. That that right?
1: Exactly. exactly. Wonderful. Right. I just, needed, exactly. <laughs> I just needed that point of clarity. You, you, you summarized it in, the, in, the, in, the, in a very clear way. And this is the formula that has been working for us and for our clients as well. Great.
0: Okay. Then I'll let you carry on from there then. So now we're on to your third book. So the first one was went through the publisher. The second one you self-published and you thought, aha, now I know how to do all this and I gain full control, which mm-hmm. you don't get any control with the publisher, right? Exactly, yep. So your third book, what was your third book? Who was it for and why did you write it?
1: So my third book was a bit more broad in a way because the first two books are into real estate. The third book was about personal finance because when I started to work with students and you know on one-on-one, you learn a lot from them. You'll get a lot of insights. And what I've realized, most, a lot of, this, of, of the students I was working with lack personal financial concepts. So simple stuff, they don't know how to make a personal financial statement, what's an asset, what's a liability, what's a good debt, what's a bad debt, all this kind of stuff. So then I wrote a book about personal finance, which will teach them Uh, how they make a financial plan for themselves before they decide if they want to invest in real estate, open a business, become entrepreneurs, whatever they want to invest in. So really, really the basics of personal finance. Awesome. So I get that.
0: So you're on your third book now. You've got quite a lot of experience at this stage. So here's a question. What are the big mistakes that authors make when both writing their book and publishing it?
1: I think the, the one of the big, actually there are a couple of them. The first one is never doing your research because when you write a book, you need to answer pain points. You need to know in advance, what is your target audience looking for? what is the, What are the pain points? What are the solutions they're looking for? And when we do the right research, This will become like the structure of the book, the table of content. We really want to make sure we answer all the needs of our target audience. So this will set up the book for success because you're talking to them, you're talking to them in their language, and you're giving them solutions to their pain points. The second mistake, so a lot of people don't do that. They just write what they want, and they get surprised, this is not really what my target audience is searching for it. Okay. So, number- so be-
0: before we go on to number two, let's get some clarity on number one. So do you research? I want some more clarity. Uh, what does that really mean? How did you do your research? And what should listeners do who are, who want to write a book? We can't just say, go do some research. What do they need to do? What's involved in that research?
1: Yeah, so what we do is it could be as simple as we go to Amazon because we know that Amazon consists of 74% of the global book sales. So this is where most of the books are being sold. If we go into the search uh, bar on Amazon and we start to input those keywords, Amazon would suggest all the high-volume keywords that are being searched for. So we started to really take all those keywords and we know that those are the high volume ones and start we we do a comparison what what which ones are relevant to the topic we're writing about that that's the first thing now there are some so, so-
0: are you saying this you use these keywords in order to structure your title is that what you're saying
1: exactly right. your title and also the table of content now there are some sophisticated tools which can take all those keywords and give us data about their volume so how many times are they being searched per month so we know that for each keyword what's the number of searches per month and what's the conversion how much are they selling per month how many competitors are using them and uh, the, the average page numbers the average price of a book so there are some tools that can help us get all that info and this will really help us decide on the topics decide on the keywords that should be in the in the in the in the whole book, the, decide on the length of the book, decide on the price point, because we need to study all the competitors in our niche and our genre to really make sure how to fit in, but whereas at the same time stand out of the competition.
0: Okay. There's this, this is a, an important point that you've made that I don't think many people would pick up on. And I just want to make sure that we make this point. So what I said, you got the keywords and you said, yes. And I said, and that's for creating the title. And you said, yes, and the table of contents. And you, you carried on. Now, what's fascinating and what's super important in the title and the table of contents is that each chapter title is an advertisement for your book. Right. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't want this point to go past anyone because if you have a boring title, but a fantastic book, people won't won't buy it. Won't buy it. Exactly. And here's the point I want to make. People don't read a book and then pay you money. Exactly. I want to pause there because it's so, so important. People pay money. And then read your book to decide whether it's any good or not. So you can't say, I've got a fantastic book. It's going to change people's lives and then give it a crappy title. So you have to have a title that people want to buy. It's much better to have a fantastic title than a crappy crappy book then it is to have a fantastic book <laughs> and a crappy title. It's you have to get it the right way round.
1: Yes, and I would add also a cover because people buy by the cover and the title. Yeah, I think sure. Are, well, they, well, we'll
0: yeah. come on to that one in a moment yep. as well. Yep. <laughs> so we need we need a a title that inspires and gets people to go. Oh, I'd like a closer look at that. So what do they do? They open it up and they look at the table of contents. And the same rule applies here. Your chapter titles have to sell. People have to read that chapter title and go, oh, wow, yeah, I'd like to buy this. And that is how people buy books. So if you've got a great cover title and they go, oh, and they look inside, but your chapter titles are boring, they'll just close the book and put it back on the shelf. Correct. So... I didn't want that point to go. So what you actually said was, go on Amazon, get the keywords, and get a sexy title, and every chapter must also have a sexy title. That's how people buy books. Exactly. Your book can be crappy after that.
1: Because, yeah, so what I'm trying to say is that our decision on the title, the subtitle, and the content really comes from what people are looking at from our research, yeah. from the keywords, from the pain points. And this is specifically on nonfiction books. This is how you structure a non-fiction book because you're answering a your need. When it comes to fiction, it's a bit of a different story now, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So here's the message then. Get the keywords, get a fantastic title, get a fantastic chapter title for your table of contents. That's how people buy. And then get into writing your book. People will judge your book then after they've bought it. Some will like it, some will not, but they'll make the buying decision not on how good your book is, but on the book title and the chapter titles. That's what sells books. Okay, exactly. so <laughs> I'm sorry I stopped you there. <laughs> so no, that, no, no. that that's how we do the research. So we find out what books are selling, look at the structure of the title, look at the structure of the table of contents, and then when you read them, feel yourself and how you are influenced by reading these chapter titles and things like that. And the things that you like, try and mirror them, not copy them but mirror them using the same kinds of things. Okay, so what's the second biggest mistake?
1: The second biggest mistake is people think they need to be writers. So I always differentiate an author from a writer. So, uh, for example, I'm not a writer. So I became an author, a best-selling author, but I'm never a writer. So I need to say, uh, if I want to write something, I need to have it double-checked, have it corrected, have it (laughs) Proof many times, but the thing is, specifically for nonfiction authors, it's all about what we want to share with the world. What's the thing? What's the lesson? What are the lessons? What is what makes us different? You know, what's our unique lesson? What we want to share with the world, and this is more than enough. Actually, it, it is the golden thing I would say in writing your book. So you need you don't need to be to be a writer. You need to have the content in your head. You need to do the research, and then you can partner. With, with a uh with a it could be a a publisher a, a ghostwriter an editor and they can help you put all that information into a good structure which becomes a manuscript which could become your the book later on
0: okay now that brings me to an interesting question because i've seen some people do the research. They've done great. They get the structure. They've done great. They start writing. They're doing great. And then they stop. So what do you do to stay focused on achieving your objectives? And what tips do you have for other people to stay focused on their objectives and their dreams?
1: I think it all goes back to our initial objective of the book. In in our case, as we shared now, it was a legacy. Because it's a legacy, and I really want to share with the world the things that brought good things in my life, it always becomes like a guiding uh, point. It's, it, it's like, a, uh, okay, that's my aim. Whatever happens to me, I always focus on what what I'm getting, what I want to achieve. Of course, I'm always going to have hiccups, and I always imagine things as if I'm a salmon fish swimming upstream, upstream the river. So everything is coming, you know, against yeah. me. But because I want to go to my objective, in the salmon's case, they want to mate. In my case, I want to achieve <laughs> the legacy <laughs> for <from> my book. <laughs> I'm sure we all want
0: to mate too. <laughs> The tragic thing (laughs) about the salmon, they mate and they die. (laughs) We just want to keep on mating, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Okay,
0: so, so getting back onto topic then, what do we do to stay focused? So, yes, you're swimming against the tide, so everything's in your face. How then do you keep it going?
1: It's, it's by focusing on what I want to achieve is on the, on the objective. And if I keep on swimming mile after mile, in that, that case, writing a page or a paragraph after the other, I will find myself, the moment I, I finish a chapter, it gives me more energy. Okay. I'm done with that. Let me move to the next and then the next. And then if I ever feel weak, if I ever feel tired or I lose, you know, I lose confidence in writing the book, I remember my objective. Why am I writing this book? In the first place.
0: Okay, let's go back to that then. How do we go about creating an objective that makes us feel that way? What's the process we go through? It will be easy to say goal setting, but that's not enough, right? So what is it within our goal setting that enables us to create a goal that does what you're alluding to?
1: Yep, I think in my case, it was always my big why. My big why was always guiding my objective because your objectives will change through time. They will evolve. uh, But your big why, what you want out of life, and this is beyond success, beyond money. It's about your family life, your health life, your spiritual life, your well-being, all this kind of stuff. So if you imagine what's your big why, everything will start to fall into place when it comes to objectives. Because objective settings, we can read this in books, put the smart objectives. But I think the big why for me was always the guiding thing in the horizon where I'm going at. Now, it's not worth it to say that in the beginning when I was going out of a war zone, my big why was a negative one. I wanted to escape that reality. I didn't want to be back into the poverty, into a war zone. But then throughout, as I evolved in life, my big why started to be more of a positive one, of a powerful one, because I wanted to achieve more things in my life, in my well-being. And and this, there's a big difference. I enjoy more now the positive why instead of escaping a negative why.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So your why, your big reason why is called caused you to write a fourth book. So what's your fourth book? Who is it for? What's its purpose? And why did you decide to write it?
1: So my fourth book, actually, it it goes uh, along the topics we're discussing now. It's all about mindset because what I've realized with the people I'm working with, okay, they want to become financially independent. They want to learn a process. uh, We can give them all the formulas or the recipes or the processes all the tools they want. But what I've learned is many of us, actually most of us, when we go on something new, we have limiting beliefs in our own. So we become our own enemy. We become our biggest enemy that's standing in the, on our own way to success. So my fourth book is all about a mindset and success habits. So what? how can you identify your own limiting beliefs? How can you acknowledge them? And then how can you transform those limiting beliefs into empowering beliefs that are, that's always guided by your big why. So once you're always, your big why is there, any limiting belief and any setback you will face in your life, we tend to, we learn how to change that into an empowering one and say, okay, that's another perspective of the whole story. And let me go from that angle instead of a negative angle.
0: Okay. Why do you think we get in our own way as you say it? And How? What can we do to get out of our own way?
1: The why, I think it's how we were programmed, because always in our brains and our subconscious, fear acts as a kind of protection. So when you're fearing something, your brain is protecting you from not going into the danger zone. And, and through time, if we keep on submitting to fear and letting, let fear drive our lives, we don't do, we don't do anything. We always play it safe, do whatever is conventional, go with the crowd, and you, you're gonna be like the, the average, you know? So when you, when you, when we learn how to overcome fear, and we overcome fear by really educating ourselves, first by having clarity on what we want, educating ourselves. So if I'm going to invest in something, I go and educate myself about this something. If I want to write a book, I go and educate myself about writing a book. If whatever I want to do in life, I started to learn from others. It could be reading, could be watching courses, it could be working with a mentor, it could be watching podcasts like what we're doing now here. So I really invest time in educating myself. And once we started to educate ourselves on the new venture we're going into, this is in my experience, always help us overcome fear because now we are equipped with the right tools. We know we have knowledge and we say, okay, now we have a plan. We learn the do's and don'ts. We learn from the mistakes of others. And this gives us confidence to start going in that new direction.
0: Okay. I don't know whether you heard this before, but I love this. Fear has crushed more dreams than failure Correct. It's fear stops us from even trying. I I agree. You know, fear is not part of success, but failure certainly is. Okay, so you've got four books. They're done. In your experience now, how can people use their book in your methodology to grow the flow of customers to their business?
1: Yeah. So what we do here, first of all, uh, specifically for nonfiction authors. So this strategy applies well for nonfiction authors because they have a message. It could be they are coaches or they, they are agents or they, they want to do something they want to teach others. So we help them, first of all, to identify their positioning. What do they want to position the book for? Who is it for? What are the pain points? What are the high-value keywords, high-traffic keywords, sorry? Um, What is the author's unique selling proposition? Is it like another me book or is it something that has a unique message that will make this book stand out of the crowd in its niche? Yeah? So then after we identify the positioning, what we do is we start working on the outline. As we mentioned a while ago, it's all about keywords, having each chapter title read the cells and and make sure it really answers all the pain points the target audience uh, is looking for solutions for. The third thing is when we write the manuscript, this is very important because in the manuscript, there is a right balance of writing including what are the essential elements and what are what is the additional thing, the extra mile, that if people would like to have, they need to reach out for you. It could be a strategy call. It could be I give them a free report. They come to my email list. We call this a lead magnet. So you don't want also to disperse a lead magnet throughout the book. It should be very strategic in the right place so that for those who want to take their learning this extra mile, they always have this free tool from your website or this free call with you and we give them all the right links in the book, which they can reach out to us and they become on our mailing list.
0: Okay. All right. So there's, lo- once we've created the book, there's lots of different ways we can use the book and planning is essential before we begin to make sure we get all those components within it, right? Earlier, we spoke about the cover design. So let's bring that in now. What tips can you give us on cover design? What what kind of things are in
1: there that are important to influencing buyers? Yep, that's, that's a great question. So first of all, what we do, we research the, the niche, the genre. So let's suppose it's a nonfiction book about sales or nonfiction book about real estate. What we do is, first of all, we research the category. So, what are the top-selling books in this category? What does their cover look like? Because I always have a strategy in the covers. We always say your cover should fit in its category, but at the same time stands out. So it's a fit and stand out. I know it's a, a bit a bit of of mm-hmm. <laughs> dichotomy, but it should be like that. Yeah. So uh, so the cover because always uh, when you have your book on the shelf, it's the cover. That attracts the, the eye before the, ti- before the title. If it's on online like Amazon, it's always a thumbnail, and your cover should always be visible enough even on small thumbnails. And uh, it could be the color, the design. It should not be really uh, have a complex. P- people love simple designs, and your title sub and subtitle should be legible. From a distance if it's on the bookshelf or legible as a thumbnail if it's on online uh, marketplace and and this is something most authors miss i've seen a lot of books that have small titles nobody can read and sometimes the design has words that are bigger than the title and this is all it becomes confusing so your title and subtitle should be very legible on a thumbnail size or from a distance if it's in bookstores the third thing is The author's name, the author's name, this is depends on where you are on the journey. If you're a well established author with a good track record, your author name should be large enough as a font size because people know you already have a certain number of followers. If you're a new author, it wouldn't make a lot of difference in the beginning. So your title and subtitle should be much bigger than your author name for a starting author. (laughs) Now, the color of a book really differs and and that's subtle thing people don't know a lot about it so it depends on who you target audience if you're if you're targeting women for example for uh, empowerment or for a specific topic your book should have colors that attract women should be could be something with a, a white some pink uh, or some you know soft colors in them because they know that it's talking to them if if your target is purely men for some books So you should have those colors that really attract men. And if it's really uh, non-gender biased, you should have a color that really doesn't overwhelm neither of the genders that they say, wow, that's a book. It's for me, irrespective if I'm a man or I'm a a woman.
0: Okay, so the, the attractive colors for a woman are, as you say, the, let me say, pastels, the peaches, the pinks, and those exactly. kind of, and whites, and things. Exactly. What about a man? What's attractive to a man?
1: So it's the black, and black, by the way, does great uh, on, on uh, online platforms, because most of the online platforms have a white background. So always a dark gray, a black cover, stand out of the of the crowd, uh, specifically on the in the online world. And I've done this through one of my books, I've, I've done some testing. And there was a big difference between a white cover and a black cover. And the black cover really overtook the, the white cover format. So same, uh, book,
0: same book, same title, just different yeah. colors. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And was, the, so was we, there a difference in male and female bias on them on
1: the two? Because So for example, my book, one of my books, what I've realized that 80% of my clients were male. Mm-hmm. So when I, the first design was more like a gender, bi- uh, non-gender bias. So it was acceptable for both. It, did, it didn't do that well when I changed the color into black. We've, I've seen really the, the book sales really started to, to increase. Uh, and this is the A-B testing we do on books because we cannot change too many things at the same time. We don't know what's working, what's not. So we do this A-B testing one at a time to really have this learning curve and know what's working and what's not working. Okay, so so,
0: so lighter colors for women, darker mm-hmm. colors for men. What's what's the neutral gender in the middle then, if you want to appeal to both?
1: So uh, white could be a neutral gender, uh, yellow could be a neutral gender, uh, this, the striking yellow, yeah, or the Amazon yellow. Uh, I've seen this working a lot for the uh, 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 neutral books. Uh, a Light gray also works well f- for, for uh, the, a neutral book.
0: Okay. So we've talked about title, we've talked about chapter titles, we've talked about the a cover, the title, the author size, the colours. So mm-hmm. we've got quite a lot of information out there. We've talked about writing a book, but there's something that happens before that. I'm asked this one quite a lot, H.J., and it's people say to me, Hey, Jeff, how do I find my purpose? Now, there's lots of reasons people would want to ask that. But let's say... They want to talk about their passion in life and find their passion. From your experience, how would they go about doing that?
1: I think from what I've experienced in life, it's all about, take it simple. Let's take it in that way. I always ask myself, when I'm with my friends in a social, you know, having a drink here and there, what do I talk most about? Ask your friends. Sometimes you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't track yourself. And your friends, your close friends, will tell you, "Hey, man, you always talk about that and that and that topic." And most probably, your passion is there. Mm-hmm. So really, ask, ask around. Reflect on what you always talk about, what you preach about, what are the social media stuff you always comment on uh, that attracts your attention, and you will find yourself you're attracted to a certain topic, to a certain niche. It's not rocket science. You really need to simplify the process to find. the the, the purpose uh, your purpose and really what what uh, what drives you what what, you know what what gives you energy in a way
0: yeah I like that I like that in fact I might try that idea myself because I'm not sure what my so I'm writing a book at the moment once that's done that's done for a purpose so after that I need to write something but I'm not sure what that something would be that's interesting huh that's what you've just brought out in me, HJ. I need to find I
1: need to find out what that gap is now. Okay. Yeah. And then comes the description, because a lot of people are like, okay, I have the right cover, the right title, the right research, the right everything. If you have a boring description, which could be on the back end of the the back cover or it could be on the online listing, this is what converts because people will go to a great cover. A great title but if the description doesn't convert you lose the sale and this is where most people don't give attention to is the description of a book
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. indeed okay i want to talk now about the inner hero how to allow the inner hero to come back in charge and run the show in your life now we've talked about the fear of failure we've talked about what happens when we start coming off of our goals we've talked about the big why Mm -hmm. how do we get the inner hero to come out and take charge
1: yeah i think before we do that is we need to ask ourselves how did we ally the inner villain to to run our lives yeah yeah (laughs) So I I I I in, in if I reflect on things, our past experiences really affect us a lot. They have a huge impact on our self-perception even and also on our future vision of, our, of ourselves. So if we need to first of all to acknowledge that. Then the second thing always uh i I've, I've seen in people and in myself, the news. You know, the news thrives on negativity. So if you keep on watching the news and listening to the news, you're going to always allow this inner villain to take over your life because you're going to be driven by fear and all by all those uh, sad stories. Uh, and the third thing, believe it or not, I learned this from the corporate world, is you always receive this advice. Hey, man, you need to work on your weaknesses. You need to improve your weaknesses. And by just thinking I have a weakness I need to work on, you're always putting yourself into this uh, vicious cycle of working on your weaknesses. So if if we acknowledge those three things, and then to answer your question, how to allow the inner hero to take charge, first of all, uh, you spoke about failure a while ago as well. What if we convert our past experiences into lessons? Even if they are, fa- specifically if they are failures, because if we learn how, to celebrate failure, because when we learn that failure is now, we know that this thing, this thing, as we've done it, doesn't work. So that's a lesson in our life. So it's an opportunity. I, I think that failure is an opportunity to teach us what works and what doesn't work. So convert past experiences into lessons. Have uh, implement a news diet. I've really, I, I've never, I haven't watched the news for months and months and months now. Sometimes, of course, I get here and there are some news that come my way, but I've, I never intentionally listen to the news or watch the news because it's all about negativity. Have, have you ever seen in the news uh, this guy gave his girlfriend a rose and they're in love? They're always about somebody's getting killed or a war here or a war there or something murdered. You know, so it's 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 always striving on negativity. Yeah,
0: uh, you, you know. Um they started to do things quite differently, and it became massive in the UK. So the main news would be news at 10. And then you get the bell of Big Ben going, dom, 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 boom. <laughs> and then the news comes on. And as you quite rightly say, it's never good news. It's all bad news, this has happened, that's happened, there's a war here, so many's got killed, there's been a mass shooting, da, da 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 But what they did, it was a newscaster called Trevor McDonald, and he started off this new trend and it was the final article on the news channel and it was called, And Finally. Mm-hmm. So they did all the news and they go, And Finally, and then they gave a good news story.
1: Let's end on a positive page, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it made such a difference. that newscaster would smile, the news would end on a positive note, but they don't do it anymore. It's just doom and gloom. So I'm the same. I rarely watch news. If I do, I just catch the headlines. I don't want the rest of the content. Because... Um, lots of them go for sensationalism i think they should be held into account and now i'm going to get on my soapbox so i don't want to do that
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's <So>, my <smart>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: that's that's amazing for another day so yeah that's yeah. that that's important it's important to know what's going on but you don't have to listen to all the all the all the uh, doom
1: and gloom. So, yeah, or or even make it make it the purpose to look for positive news. So let's suppose yeah. I want to do this thing in my life. Whatever this thing is, why don't I research the successful stories about this thing? So now you're inviting, actually you're focusing like a sniper on the positive things you want to learn about in life. Yes,
0: law of attraction by another name. Exactly. Are are you very much into your kids' development as Mm -hmm. me? I am too. I'll share a strategy with you Mm -hmm. that I used to do with my kids. And um, so i had been in a different country most weeks. So I used to speak to my kids every day, but on telephone, mm-hmm. because I was working away so often. And they'd be at school four, five, six years old or something like that. And I'd call say, hi, how are you doing? Love you, da, da 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 and they'd tell me all the things. And then it would come, I would ask this one question. What have you learned today? Now, if they say, ah, Daddy, um, I don't know, or I can't remember, and I'd say, well, that's not good. What I want you to do is put the phone down, because they didn't have mobiles then, long time ago now. (laughs) Put the phone down, I'm going to call you back, and you're going to tell me what you've learned today. Otherwise, we've wasted the day. So I'd give them a few minutes, then I'd call back. Hey, darling, what have you learned today? And they have to sell. Tell me something new every single day. So their life. So they got used to it. Then they they were aware of the things that they
1: were learning. It's day. about awareness. Yeah, it, it's really about awareness. Actually, absolutely I, right. I practice the same with my five-year-old boy. Yeah. So, so what I do is the just, same. Yeah.
0: So Sorry. What, Yeah. So what happened here? My youngest. We've been doing this for a few years. My youngest reaches eight years old. So I say, hey, Laura, what have you learned today? And she said, Daddy, I've learned. And then she'd tell me something. And then she said, and Daddy, I said, yes. She said, what have you learned today? But, oh, wow, that's, <laughs> oh. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> so that started a whole new game. So then I had to then uh, think and be aware of what I had learned today and then convert it into something that, my eight-year-old and ten-year-old of the time will understand. So um, it's all about awareness and, all right. and the desired awareness, not just being aware, but deciding what you want to be aware of. And that's what we're saying with Captain Failure or the, in, the inner failure within you, the inner villain. So now we're bringing out the inner hero. That's so correct. back back to you then sir. So we've defined the inner villain.
1: Yep. So uh, and and the third thing on how to allow the inner hero to to really come out is instead of working on our weaknesses which we just discussed a while ago, why don't I work on my strengths? So if I have a certain strengths and we do all do have strengths, why how can I bring my strengths to the next level? How can I really stand out of the crowd in my strengths and become known for them? Uh, so I always tell people, out of 10 things you want to work on, always have eight strengths and maybe two weaknesses. So instead of you work on your weaknesses and you leave your strengths out, so it becomes really a mindset shift because this will gain you confidence. The more you become aware of your strengths and you see them evolving and you're developing yourself, the more confidence you will build and the more confidence you will build, it becomes really very obvious in your personality and you will become a different person in the whole process.
0: Indeed. What does success look like for you nowadays, H.J.?
1: Success for me is about being able to spend quality time with my family whenever I want, however I want, without having anything that stops me. Because in the past... Money used to be a an inhibitor for me because I couldn't take them whatever I want in life because of money. Time used to be an inhibitor because I used to work very hard in the corporate world. I had very little time to spend with my family. So I want this choice that I, whenever I choose to spend time with them, whatever I want to do with them, it could be simple things as like staying home or traveling the world with them. I want the choice of having... To choose when I want to do that and how I want to do that. And then is really about giving back. Giving back could be spiritual. How can you help your community, do your church? Or it could be through your books, through your work. How are you paying it forward? How many lives are you helping through your work? It could be your articles, your books, because for me, this is how I measure success, not in money. In, in my case, if my, if I sold a thousand book a month, Wow! I, I know that I was able to reach 1,000 audience and teach them something different than only selling 100 book. If I get 5,000 books, even better. So really It's, it's all about uh, uh, how are you making a difference in the world. And here I remember a story uh, from one of my of one of those leaders I met in my life. I was at that time in the Philippines, based in the Philippines. We were struggling. I was in the corporate world. We were struggling in sales and our sales used to be in the pharmaceutical line. So he came and told us, and this was a lesson for me. Instead of thinking on the bottom line and, and your top line sales, focus on how, on how many lives you want to save this month. Because selling, having your products in the right hands of those doctors who are giving them to the right patients, this is about saving lives. When you change your mindset, I'm in the business of saving lives and I want to make, save as much life as possible this month and this year. Money will follow. So I always change my metrics into a uh, in non-monetary things and always money follow becomes a, a, you know, a back-end reward. And the ultimate reward is how are you changing the world? How are you adding value, uh, to, to your audience?
0: That's very powerful, you know, incredibly powerful. So writing a book to make money is probably not a good strategy. In fact, it isn't. In fact, doing anything with the purpose of making money is not a great strategy. If you do things to serve others and serve others well, money will follow. The more people you help, the more money follows.
1: Exactly. And, and people talk with those reviews because every book, they have their own reviews. They have their online reviews. They have the social media reviews. And this is what people need to see. Not your, okay, your title, you cover, whatever you spoke about comes in the beginning. But eventually the true measure is how other people who bought your book are talking about your book. Is it really saving? Uh, giving them lessons, saving their lives, teaching them something, making a change, uh, all this kind of stuff.
0: Okay. So you've had four books yourself. You've helped lots of other people create their own books. Yep. And you've had great success in helping other people to gain more clients through books. But... Books is not your main business, which is quite fascinating, which is why I wanted to travel this route. So Mm. most of your income does not come from books. It's books that generates the income for you. And anybody who is a consultant or a speaker or a trainer, whenever I speak to them and they don't have a book, they're always working so hard to try to find the next client. And, and here's the problem they fall into. Whilst they're working, they're not finding another client. And whilst they're trying to find another client, they're not working. And there's no passive income in there. Exactly. And the way to get financial independence is to build that passive income and then you can juggle this balance between... Working and delivering and then finding new clients. And your book will often find new clients for you. So here's the message then. If you have a business and you don't have a book, man, you're missing out. And it doesn't matter what that business is. And Indeed, H.J., yeah. um, if someone wants to reach out to you for you to help them to write a book or to understand more about that, how, how can people reach you?
1: So, uh, I'm, I'm not that socially active on social media. So, uh, I also have my Facebook and Instagram, but really I have very rare <laughs> posting there. Uh, I focus mostly on LinkedIn. So they can find me on LinkedIn as HJHMAS. Uh, and on my website is HJHMAS.com. So HJCHAMAS.com. Uh, on the top of my site is really about if they, if they want to write a book, if they're serious about publishing a book, they can schedule a call with me and uh, we go on a discovery session. From there, we would know if we're a good fit to work together. I know if they have content that will really make a difference because we also select our clients. We don't, because every client we work with it's hundred percent success story. We we really do all our research before we select the clients because we always want the best selling books on our portfolio. And uh, if we if we find ourselves a good fit, and then we can take the conversation forward. A lot of our clients actually they don't know they don't have time to write a book even. For example, I'm working now with a, with a dentist in the region here in the Middle East. So he doesn't have time to write a book. We're interviewing him. So making interviews, taking transcripts, converting them into manuscripts and the whole, the whole sequence of stuff. So we can do from anything. If, if you have a manuscript ready, we can help you. If you have an idea here, we can also help you to put it out on papers.
0: Great. So people can write a book and come to you or they can come to you and you can help them write or you can interview them and you'll write the book for them, whichever exactly. way around they want to do it. Great. Exact, exact. Wonderful. What a great resource to have. Okay, now I've got a question that's quite deep. I ask it of every guest. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, sure.
0: H.J., what is the most important thing you have ever
1: learned? I think it's about the opportunity of failure because I failed a lot in my life. I faced a lot of of negativity in my life. I was raised in a war zone, I was poor. I I, I came from a failure background. So whatever was my background was a doomed failure. And I learned how to convert failure into an opportunity and really reinvent myself to really transform my failure into successes.
0: Okay. And I'm gonna end on that beautiful note. H.J., that's it for us today. It's been wonderful. You have been wonderful. I've thoroughly enjoyed everything. Thank you so much for all your valuable contribution. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you indeed. And to you, Lulisna, thank you for downloading The Secrets of Success. I hope the show has helped ignite your passion. To be a catalyst for action and giving you the fuel you need to realise your dreams. If you've enjoyed the show, please hit the follow button and make sure you don't miss any new episodes. Leave a review and share. When I say share, I mean share this episode with one person. That's all. But You could make a big difference in their life. And without your help, we can't succeed so especially if you're going on Apple leave a review because that's what gets podcasts lifted on another note I'm always searching for great success stories so if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest please contact me through our website at jeff-smith.com you know I really would love to hear from you and I'd love to have you as a guest on the show that's all from me today. Thank you again, H.J. Shamas. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening and have a great day.